The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the podcast. Monday morning here in Southern California. Zach Lowe has made his dramatic return. We're going to get to that in a second, but first... um, this is a new podcast. We are launching a podcast, NBA only, every Monday, that's going to run through the month of July, and it's going to have a variety of guests on it. It is not going to be called The BS Report. We're, we're creating a new podcast just for the hell of it, and I am 99% sure this podcast is going to be called Bill Don't Lie. Zach Lowe, yeah. uh, first of all, congrats on your dramatic return from uh, Dadline. Oh, big applaud. Big applaud for Zach Lowe. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Uh, so we decided to throw you, throw you into the fire here after three and a half weeks of being a new dad. You cut your hand. Uh, yeah. And we're now, do, now we're doing coast-to-coast video for the first time. You're back in the fire. This is great. It's like a playoff game for you. It's ugly. I haven't slept in like two days. This could, this could get really ugly. I got a, I sliced up my hand. It's just it's a whole – it's a disaster in my house right now. You're going to be fine. Uh, so – I think we're going to call this Bill Don't Lie. There's a chance we might change the name to NBA Holes, but I think it's going to be Bill Don't Lie, which I like for a variety of reasons. Uh, first of all, MVP race. If you had been on the site the last couple of weeks, I feel like tomorrow's column would have been an MVP race type of breakdown, something like that. I could have seen you doing that. This race is fascinating. We have four candidates. LeBron is starting to drop back a little bit. I looked at the odds today. He's uh, plus 800. Curry and Westbrook are now the favorites at plus 110 each. Harden is plus 250. The Westbrook triple-double binge has uh, totally upended this race. What do you see? What are you thinking? Why Why is LeBron dropping back? The missed free throws and the turnover binge? Resigned? Like, Cleveland is on fire. They they just, what, they just beat Golden State at home. They, they, they're, they're, like, the best team in the Eastern Conference, you know, for the last three months. Why are they, why is he not in the race? Why is he dropping back? I don't get that. I have no idea. Uh, I, maybe people held off the fact that he took a two and a half week vacation to South Beach. Might have, might have, maybe been left people perturbed. But I guess that's interesting though, because so he's missed like he's missed I think eleven games, and Westbrook has missed fifteen. So yep. Westbrook has missed more games than LeBron. But do voters? Should we look differently on missed games due to voluntary rest rehab and versus missed games due to forced injury? Plus the fact that he broke his face and came back after one game. Should we look at those things differently? Well, you know where I stand with this stuff. I feel like part of being most valuable is if you're able to play the entire season and you're there for your team night after night after night. Like I think Harden is the most valuable player right now. I don't think that means he's the best player. Um, But I think he means the most to his team night to night, week after week through these first four and a half months of the season because everything they do revolves around him. If you had told me Howard's not going to even really play that much for them, and yet they're still going to be a three or a four seed, I would have thought that was crazy. It's amazing. That's that's an underplayed story, how little Dwight Howard has impacted the team this year. Because offensively, even when he was playing, like he went back to being a bad post-up player and sucking up possessions in a negative way. Like it's it's we can talk about them later, but they're a remarkable story to me. Right. So I don't know. I think Hard I, I laid this point out on PTI on Friday night. I think Harden is the most valuable day to day guy in, on any team. Curry is the best player on the best team. Um LeBron is just the best player. And Westbrook is the best one man wrecking crew right now. And I think it's a fascinating race. I, I think you'd have to go back to 
maybe 93 when you had like a vintage year from Hakeem. You had Jordan. You had Barkley's famous Phoenix year. You had David Robinson. You had Carl Malone. Like that was an insane MVP year. Um, we didn't even mention Anthony Davis, who both you and I feel should be considered an MVP candidate, but there's no way he'll even sniff the top four. Um, those five guys I, together are, are as you see, you disagree with that. Well, I just I sniffed the top four. Like, I think he lo- he's lost ground because New Orleans scrapped pretty well when he was out recently for, what, six, seven games. I don't remember mm-hmm. the exact number. Reminder that I've been in a continuous haze for three weeks. Yep. Um, but they, like, scrapped together some wins without him. Um, I He's been... I think he's been the best player in the league this year when he's been available. I don't see why he can't sniff the top four. I agree with you that he'll probably finish fifth as of right now. I just don't think that should be a no-brainer. And, like, these five guys have been so good. Chris Paul has been unbelievable this year. And the Clippers, we both of us thought the Clippers were in big, big trouble when Blake got hurt because their next 15 games were brutal. They've survived, and they've gotten some injury breaks from other from opponents. The schedule isn't as, it hasn't turned out to be as hard as it looked, but Chris Paul can't even, like, sniff the conversation. Like, Chris, Chris Paul's just out, completely out of the conversation. It's unbelievable. His last month has been uh, on par with all these other guys. I think people, yeah. the first three months, you know, he definitely took some halves off, some couple games off. There were games where Blake was, you know, I, I it, it's clear now that he was kind of picking his spots with Blake there. And I, I'm not positive of the reasons. I mean, maybe... You give the young guys some and all that stuff. But with Blake gone, he's clearly like, oh, people think we're going to be done. Watch this. And him and DeAndre, I mean, this is a whole separate conversation. But you watch them without Blake and you think like, man, it, would this team better off, be better off if they if they took the Blake, whatever, whatever asset? I mean, he's a mega asset. But you took Blake and you turned him into three guys. Would they just be a better team? I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. Well, that- that's what makes basketball interesting, right? It's like anytime a star player goes down, I think we all get into this mode of like, oh, it's panic time. You know, this team is screwed. And it's just things are replaceable in ways that you don't quite expect. So, like, it turns out if you run spread pick and rolls with CP and DeAndre and shooters or what passes for shooters for the Clippers around them, that's really powerful. And just like there are millions of like the Pelicans survive without Anthony Davis. Um, look at just a random one because I watched their game last night. Vucevic has been hurt for the last two or three games for Orlando. They're like they're they're fine. They like survived just fine. They put Dwayne Dedman in its center and like they're okay. It's it's basketball is strange like that. Well, and we should give ourselves a pat on the back because we were wondering why nobody was trying to steal Mo Harkless from them. For yeah, it's, he's he, months it turns and months, out he, and he was great yesterday in that game. So I was thinking of you. I was like, me and Zach, if we if we'd been GMs, we would have tried to steal that guy. Um, the Blake thing's interesting though because he's going to come back at some point, and I think the Clippers now have, despite having the worst bench maybe in the history of any really serious contender that I can remember in a while, um, when he comes back. If he readjusts his game a little bit, and he's like, you know, I'm not going to try to score 25 points a game. I'm going to crash the boards and I'm going to run the floor and I'm going to be energy guy versus get me some shots. I, you got to run plays for me. If he just kind of fits in with what they're doing, I have to recalibrate my ceiling for that team. But I don't know if he'll do that. Yeah, it's hard, right? Because and this is what we've been talking about. I mean, the reason that he's a little bit more replaceable. And look, Blake Griffin is not replaceable. Like anything can right. happen over two weeks of an NBA schedule. You get the Bulls when Jimmy Butler gets hurt. You get the Mavericks when Tyson Chandler and Rondo are both out and Parsons, I think. So you catch some breaks and you survive. 
Uh, they need Blake Griffin, obviously, yes. but like he and this has been no, this is not a secret. Like he and DeAndre, their best strength on offense is the same thing: occupying, slicing down the lane on the pick and roll, occupying the same space. And when you take one of them out and replace that person with a shooter, the floor is just more open. Yep. You don't have to kind of force these post ups. And Blake's a good post up player, or these mid range jumpers, and he's become a good mid range shooter. But he's done all those things. A, because he's good and he's a good passer and he can facilitate, and B, because he has to play with DeAndre. And it's uh, so, it, it, and, and they have the best offense in the league, period. So it doesn't really matter. But it's just, I, I don't, there's only, to, to your question, there's only so much they can do really to fit him in. I mean, that's always going to be, the, the, the skill overlap is always going to be there. And we should mention DeAndre's having one of the great contract years in the history of mankind and, and is really, at one point, I think, when I was researching for PTI last week, we looked it up, and it was, he had, had two hundred rebounds, two hundred and one rebounds in the last ten games, which is you can, insane. He makes, he makes NBA centers look like they have absolutely like Pau Gasol had no chance to box him out. It was like right. unfair. Yeah, so you know that's they'll have to deal with this this summer. But I think how Blake fits back into this team is equally as fascinating as the question of. How does Durant fit back into this Westbrook thing that's going on right now? What happens there? Does he just become Steve, the greatest version of Steve Novak of all time? Do you, easy, like, easy, what do, what do you easy. do? Wait, but you can't, you can't like say, "Hey, Russell, now you got to share the ball all the time." Like they, they, they stumbled onto something here, and I don't know what this means. I don't know how sustainable what Westbrook is doing is because you don't, you just, don't know if twenty nine, seventeen, and fifteen is sustainable and. And I mean that in every puzzle. Like what he's doing is like statistically absurd and borderline unprecedented. Yeah. I also just don't know. Like he, he looks like he's on. Like he looks like he's. He can't possibly play this hard much longer. I mean, he is flying all over. For better or worse, he is flying all over the court at all times. He's like going for shot blocks. He's gambling for every steal. He's flying around trying to cover everybody. Yeah. I just feel like. And he look and the way he looks, it looks like the game's going to end, and he could be like, "I want to run a marathon right now," and he could like actually go just run a marathon. But I don't think he can keep that up. And and also, they haven't been they haven't been that great, right? I mean, he's been great, but their record, I think, with him and without Durant is twelve and nine. So that's like pretty good. I mean, they need Durant, and like ultimately they'll recalibrate and things will be fine. But yeah, it is. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. I like. I like what Canner brought to the table for them. And we we knew there was a really good chance it would be the case, but this looks like a classic stole a guy who was on the wrong team trade. He's just a really good offensive player. He finishes around the basket, he can post up, he does he does things at a very, very high level for a big man, and he's young. And it's really hard for me to believe they stole him for what they stole him. I thought it was a fair trade when it happened, but now you watch him with good teammates. And it's on a different level. And I've been surprised. Were you surprised? I mean, I think it was a fair trade from Utah's perspective. I just don't think the market for him was very strong. To get a first-round pick for him was pretty good uh, for Utah. I don't think they were going to get any better. The interesting thing about Cantor is he's been tethered almost completely to Ibaka. I think he's played like 290 minutes for the Thunder and like 11 or 12 or 13 without Ibaka. And, And the message is you need to be on the floor with this guy who's a great defensive player because we can't. We we can't cover right. for you, otherwise. And now that Adams is back, and that's going to be interesting to see if they can sort of keep that 
set in stone that way. Now, it might be that McGarry, who didn't play last night, is going to be out of the rotation, and that makes it a little easier. But that's the Thunder big man situation is really interesting because Canner has fit well, and I just don't think long term you can pay all of those guys Canner, Adams, Ibaka, uh, Collison just got extended all for only for two years, and Durant should and does play some power forward every game. That's a lot sure. of guys. And McGarry, they like McGarry. And by the way, I could watch like a 10 minute highlight reel of just Mitch McGarry running. Like that guy runs <laughs> so hard up and down the floor. Yeah. He's like he's like a kid trying to trying to please the coach. <laughs> and Augustine's been terrific for them compared to what Reggie Jackson was doing for them. They haven't played Kyle Singler as much as I thought. But yeah, I think you're right. I don't think this Westbrook thing is oh, sorry, my phone's not off. Uh I don't think this Westbrook thing is sustainable from the standpoint of He's in this mode because he knows every game now is a playoff game for them. Yeah, that's so, true. So he's in late May mode right now. And when Durant comes back, he can ease off the gas a little. I guess my question is, I, I've just never seen a situation like this where his teammate won the MVP last year. And now it's really hard for me to believe there's any situation where Westbrook isn't the most important guy in this team the next three months. Even if Durant comes back. I don't think he'll be 100%. I don't think he'll be in total game condition. I think he's going to deep down be a little worried about the foot. And it's hard to get your feel back. And all of a sudden, they're going to be in the playoffs in four weeks. This, At least for this season, this is Westbrook's team, I think. And maybe it just maybe it's the kind of thing that just depends on matchups. If, if Durant has a matchup where you, it's not Kawhi Leonard or it's not Tony Allen or it's not someone that gives him problems relative to you know the fact that no one can actually give him problems and maybe Durant takes more of the load and if it's one of those guys that can really guard him or it's it's a team that is overloading the side of the ball that Durant is on very well like Memphis has done in the playoffs before maybe the load goes more to Westbrook maybe it's just a matchup thing and uh, you know but they've got some things to sort out they've got some rotation issues to sort out I agree with you about Singler especially since the alternatives are Augustine and Westbrook playing together, which has been a disaster defensively. Yeah, and Waiters, who is has just been awful. Waiters should be party. out. Wait, I, I. By the way, I'm on the boat too. I'm out. I'm off Waiters Island. I I don't think there's any. I think the island has been detonated. The, the island the island <laughs> fell apart out itself. But um, last night there was like four minutes to go in that Toronto game, and Westbrook, with like four minutes to go, had like twenty seven, seventeen, and five or some. Or 15, some crazy triple-double going. And you can actually see Waiters on the TV jumping up and down for the ball. It's like he hasn't seen a, a GIF or a YouTube clip of himself doing this or a message board thread or anything. He just doesn't get it. He takes – I mean, this is no, this is how he was in Cleveland, right? Yes. I mean, this is not a surprise. He just takes – you and I were on Waiters Island because amid all the horrible step-back 18-footers that miss, there would be drives to the rim – and funky interior passes and yep. creative stuff that made you think, if this guy just takes spot up threes and does that, he could be a really good NBA player. And yep. he's just like, and the skeptics of, of whom there are many in in team offices around the league just said, you don't understand. He will never do that. He thinks he's like the best player in the league and entitled to do whatever he wants. And that's turned out to be the case. Well, that the best thing about him and the worst thing about him is the same thing, which is that he thinks he's the best player on the floor. Yeah, and he's on Oklahoma City that has Westbrook and Durant on their team, and Enos Cantor who can actually post up on just about anybody in a Baku. Like you're not even the, the fifth best player on the floor in your team, uh, so that's gonna be a problem. I think Singler's gonna play more. 
I, I thought Memphis was going to make it. I was prepared for Memphis versus Golden State. And I got to hand it to Presti, man. Oklahoma City made some great moves at the deadline. I really like their trades. And uh, I think they're scary. The, they're, the X factor, and this cannot be mentioned uh, strongly enough, is Durant and if he's going to be healthy. And yeah, I mean, that's the it. The foot thing's a real concern now. He's had he had he had the Jones fracture. We read all this stuff about how dangerous it is to rush somebody back from the Jones fracture. He came back ahead of schedule, which I thought was a red flag. He started to look funky about two weeks before he actually went down. Didn't look right. Only played 10 minutes in the All-Star game, which was a red flag. Right afterwards, they decide that the screw's not right. They got to go in there and get it. I'm concerned. But why are these Thunder players always having these surgery screw-ups? Like, the screw wasn't right. Remember Westbrook's stitch wasn't right when he had the meniscus injury? Like one right. of the stitches came loose and they had to redo it? Like who, who is doing this? Like that's it's it's just a coincidence, obviously, and probably bad luck. But yeah, look, if Durant can't come back and be Durant, they're a nice team. If Durant can come back and be Durant, I picked them to win the title at the beginning of the year. I thought this was going to be their year, and they absolutely, you know, it's a nightmare to come from the eighth spot in the Western Conference, but they could do it. If there's a team that could do it, they could do it. Well, how unbelievable is this? I know, I don't don't let us forget the MVP thing because I want to go back to that. But yes, you have Portland, whose season was ruined by the West Matthews thing. There's no other way to that say was, it. their season got ruined. They're not coming back from that. Sorry, Portland, you're just not. I thought he was their second best player. Um, you have that. I, I for what he meant to that team, I think Matthews meant more than Lillard. Matthews, what he Lillard. does on the other end, Lillard is a DH. He plays one end of the floor. That's it. Matthews plays both ends, and he was their best defensive player. And I, I don't see how they come back from that. He's and by the way, these I love Aaron Afalo. These these people saying Afalo and Matthews are equivalent players, roughly, is is just it's not it's not true. He's not nearly the defender that Matthews is. He's not as good a shooter, and and more than that. Wes embraced his role as, I'm going to post up now and then and get to dribble some, but I'm going to be an absolute killer catch-and-shoot guy. Afalo likes to catch the ball and, like, jab step and, like, do his little herky-jerky stuff yep. and, you know, dribble into a mid-range shot. Like, that. Portland's system does not include stuff like that, so it's going to be a trickier fit. But uh, anyway, yeah, it, it, and Wes is an awesome guy, and it's just, just absolutely know. devastating. Well, and the devastating. other problem is, Aflalo was great if he was your overqualified guy coming off the bench, right? He was overqualified for that role. It's great to if he's your third guy uh, on the perimeter. That's awesome. He's underqualified to be the third best guy in the Blazers. That and that's and the problem is he could move up and give you whatever percent of what Matthews gave you, but now you have all those other people moving into what the Aflalo spot was, right? And that's where it falls apart a little. Um, we neither of us tweeted this, but we we emailed about it. I thought the Matthews – I can't remember a single play costing an NBA player more money than that play because I think he would have gotten $100 million from the Blazers or four years, 85, from about 10 to 12 teams that would have paid that in a heartbeat this summer. And now I don't know what his market value is. And I think you always – you hate seeing anyone get hurt, but, man, the timing of that just couldn't be worse because there's no way he's going to be 100% even going into that free agency period – he wanted to be sixty percent, and I don't know what that means for him. Yeah, it's it's uncouth to talk uncouth, right? That's why he says uncouth yeah. to talk about that. But I mean, it really affects his lifestyle. I mean, it's a real thing. And this I don't was know... his chance for the major, major, yeah. life altering hundred million dollar contract or whatever, and now it's up in the air. 
and the historical data, although there isn't that much of it for Achilles tears, suggests that he'll never be the same player again. And, you know, I don't I don't know. He, he might be ready for the start of next year, but I don't know what you do. Do you sign him to a, th- a, a, a one-year contract? Does he sign a one-year contract so he kind of reproves himself and hits the market again when the cap goes up? Does he try and lock in like a three-year deal where the the team gets the years two and three almost totally non-guaranteed? I don't, I don't even know what I don't know what you do. I don't know if you have a meeting with with Wes Matthews in July. Like I don't know what the hell you talk about at that meeting. It's just it's it's tough. And yeah, I agree. Portland Portland's like Portland had a chance. Portland, yeah. I was late to the game. Admittedly, I was a Portland skeptic. They won me over. They are a really really good team. And I thought if the matchups and the health broke right. They had a legit chance to win the title or get to the finals, and I don't see that. that that's just not possible, I don't think. And the top six in the West is just too good where you can't sustain an injury to one of your two best guys and win four, and win three straight rounds to get to the finals. You could if you were in the East, maybe, but I, I think in the West it's unrealistic. So I, I'm crossing them off as, as a team that could win three straight. I also think... That's a team I wouldn't mind seeing in round one now. And I think the other team that's definitely like that, and this is – I'm going to pour it a little bit. Hold on. I'm going to pour it a little bit. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Watch it. There's a lot of technology there. Rondo. I'm so, I'm, well, for, hey, Rondo. Uh, but that, that Mavs team is a catastrophe. It's just they're 14 and 14 in their last 28. At some point, that's not a streak, that you are what you are. And, that, and Rondo has not fit in. It's gone terribly. I didn't believe 90% of what I read in that Mark Spears interview. I think he's miserable. I think the Mavs are miserable. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes with that team. And I know they did this in 2011, but Dirk was 2011 Dirk. This is now 2015 Dirk. And I want to play that team in round one if I'm anyone. Okay, so I was a Rondo trade skeptic, as you know. I know. You won this one. I didn't think it would go this badly. However, their defense and rebounding have improved. They just haven't improved as much as their offense has dropped off. And he's clearly been an awkward fit. Now, Chandler missed some games. Parsons missed a bunch of games. I think 10 games. Rondo got suspended and threw his little shit fit. Excuse my language. Um, Dirk has been banged up. Or Dirk is always is sort of permanently banged up. Ellis has been banged up and was just in a really bad slump until he broke out last night. Like If all of those things flip the other way, I think that's still a dangerous team. Uh, Aminu, Aminu's emergence off the bench for them over the last month has been big. Aminu has turned into exactly the player they hoped he would be. Stoudemire has fit in. You know I don't like Amari's game. Stoudemire has fit in there better than I thought. I'm not ready to to cut bait on Dallas as a dangerous team. And remember, they had no shot against San Antonio last year. None. And they almost won that series. Almost won that. They were like a DeWan Blair kick and some other breaks away from winning that series. Yep. Rick is a play, great playoff coach. You know, I'm not. I'm. I'm just. I'm willing to give them another 20 game. But the last part of their season schedule is absolutely brutal, and they're lucky. They're. I'm looking now. They're four games up, five on, in the loss column on the Pelicans, four on the Thunder. They're lucky that it's probably hard for them to fall to number eight because I think they're going to be number seven and get Memphis in the first round instead of eight in Golden State. And Memphis is not a good matchup for them. I don't think. That's not Memphis is well. a bad matchup for Dirk. Dirk, they like to hide Dirk on the on the big guy who's not a post threat. And can't with do that Memphis, Memphis. There's there's no good answer there. I love Dirk. I feel bad. I feel bad turning on Dirk and Rondo, but I really don't see it. I just don't think. I think it's a six team, 
uh, conference right now. It's funny because we're always talking about the West is unbelievable. The West is so great. West was probably better last year. Uh, there's six really, really good teams. Golden State is better than any regular season team from the West last year. But um, the irony of this whole thing and the thing that's got to just be killing Steve Kerr is that he would much rather play Dallas or Portland in round one, and he might be stuck with that OKC team, which has been a storyline we've been talking about. But it's really, really unfair that they're going to win 68 games or whatever they end up winning, and, and their prize is going to be Durant and Westbrook. Well, that's just that's when you take the 16 best teams in the playoffs and and put them in, and maybe the seeds would be different. Or look, we're not talking. We haven't. The Pelicans is a word that has not been said yet on this podcast. The Pelicans are hanging in. They are. And if Durant's and they have the tiebreaker over Oklahoma City, I believe three to one. If Durant's foot issues, like let's say Durant misses five more games, comes back, his foot hurts again, misses a few, like. They're in it. The Pelicans, look, I was a Pelican skeptic. I would, they are in it. They scrapped away without Davis. He's back. Now they got to find a way to reintegrate him. And But they're they're not, I, you know, look, we can take issue with how they built their team and how they're coached, but the bottom line is they're 34 and 29. They're in it. Here's the Pelicans' destiny. They're going to be right in it to the last week, and then they'll lose three games in the final minute and miss the playoffs by a game. That's how this ends for them. Followed by a new coach who will be Tom Thibodeau. The yeah, thing, Claire the Bill thing, is back. The Tibbs thing is real. The Tibbs thing is real. Tibbs it would not be a shocker. Tibbs, it would not be a shocker. Look, and Tibbs, Tibbs got to be looking around and being like, Orlando's got an interesting young nucleus. I don't know what happens with Melvin Hunt in Denver, although I don't picture Tibbs as like a push the pace Denver kind of coach. Uh, D'Antoni would be a fantastic there. Mm. Um, you, you haven't given up on D'Antoni, which I love. Why would I? He yeah, revolutionized the NBA. Every every coach who's like a genius, right, will tell you I'm copying Mike D'Antoni to some extent. I now, think he's it's a, a prickly... great corner. It's a great corner for you. When he has his dramatic comeback, you, you'll, you'll be on D'Antoni Island. You would have built like your own little tiki there. D'Antoni Island is, is yeah. D'Antoni Island is like Don Nelson Island. That's a fun island. I'm all. I'm, Don I'm, Nelson I'm happy literally to be on has that his island. own island. He has his yeah, own Don, island in Hawaii. He's officiating weddings in Hawaii somewhere. I I uh, I would have liked the Pelicans more if they didn't lose to the Celtics on Friday night. That was one well, of those take th- care of business games, and they and they they just have too many of those. They their their record against the top teams in the West is very strong considering their overall quality and they keep losing these games to crappy teams in the East and you're like do you want to, how badly do you want to make the playoffs you can't lose to the Celtics in, at home you can't do it Dave, sorry I know I know you're, Isaiah Thomas is the greatest Celtic ever by the way how long are the how long are the Celtics gonna the Celtics TV people gonna every game most points scored in the first nine games is a Celtic it's just keep eight going. games is a Celtic so keep is going. it just gonna go on forever. That, I got to say, first of all, I was scoreboard watching over the weekend on Saturday night. I was actually following Pacers, Knicks, and Kings Heat for the Celtics because exactly. the Celtics didn't pass them. I'm at the I'm at the Kings game on my iPhone, watching, refreshing the NBA scoreboard to see what's going on. Also, this stupid Celtics team can make the playoffs. They're like ten games under 500. And then yesterday, they blow that Orlando game. I was genuinely upset. I was genuinely upset. I watched it this morning, and I thought they blew it in two minutes. Ge- yeah, Mo Harkless went crazy, and uh, and a couple lazy passes and the whole thing. But I was ex- I'm excited for them to maybe get an eight seed and just have Isaiah Thomas win game one or game two on the road by himself, and everybody get and then they'll lose the series. But I was just excited for the whole thing. What's the difference between having the 15th pick and the 10th pick? Really, who cares? 
Like at that point, try to make the playoffs. I think they care. I think their I think their front office cares, but um, their front office also enabled them to make a late season playoff run. Although I think it's unlikely now that they're two and three games back of Charlotte and the Pacers and the Heat. But they could have waited until the summer to try and get Isaiah Thomas or whoever. Um, but I think they, they got knew, him now. Yeah, they knew it was the right asset to get. Uh, you you sold at all a tiny bit on the uh, on the Pacers, especially if Paul George gets thrown back into that mix as a potential sleeper in round one. I'm like moderately sold. Um, mm. I mean, look, they've been good when George Hill's been on the floor. I mean, that's the bottom line. When they have when they've had healthy bodies, competent NBA players at every position, they've been pretty good. Their defense has been good. Vogel's a really good coach. That said, during this surge. They've gotten some sk- they they've beaten the Sixers twice, the Knicks yep. twice. They got the Warriors without Curry. They got the I think they had one Cavs game without either LeBron or Kyrie or both. So like it's not quite as strong as it looks, but the Pacers their bench has actually been frisky all season. They're going to make you earn it. it. Yeah, they're going to make you earn it, which in the Eastern Conference is like pretty good. The Hawks won a big one against Cleveland. I thought they needed that one just because there had been so much buzz with uh, when LeBron and the Cavs went on that streak about, oh, here we go. It's the Cavs. That, like, nothing Atlanta had done even mattered. And I thought they needed to kind of take care of business in that game, which they did. I know you watched that game, right? Yeah. What did you see from – because I saw a couple of things. I want to see if you saw the same things. What did you see from what they did that game with the Cavs that uh, I thought was maybe a bad sign for the Cavs in the playoffs? Well, their foot speed on defense bothered Cleveland. And, and Mike Prada uh, of SB Nation wrote about this today. The pressure they put on the pick and roll, having Horford and Millsap and Scott come out beyond the three-point line and double-team LeBron or double-team Irving, and, and the ability and smarts and speed of the guys behind that trap to rotate in, into all the right places at the right time. I mean, they frustrated Cleveland's offense. They frustrated LeBron into a lot of turnovers, and that to me was the story of the game. Their defense was up to the task, even with uh, Damari Carroll in foul trouble yep. and Cephalosha hurt, and and so they had to put Bazemore on LeBron. And Bazemore's good, but he's undersized for that for that job. I like a little Kent Bazemore love there. That was exciting. Yeah, he's ba- he bounced around. I always had faith. He was such a good bench guy. I noticed that. I noticed, uh, and this is what I think is going to really hurt Cleveland in the playoffs if if they're trying to win four straight rounds. They go into Mark Jackson ball a little too easily. And Atlanta, I thought Atlanta, Coach Bud is unbelievable. He's, 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 I don't know what the order is, but it's Pop, Kerr, Coach Bud. It's it's in some order in the top three and probably somebody I'm forgetting, but those three I think have been the best this year. Um, And he just exploited the fact that that team, when they, when they get in trouble and they don't like what's happening, it turns into, all right, your turn. Here you go. Kyrie do something, LeBron do something, and that's what that's their offense. And we've seen it in the playoffs. That doesn't work. I don't care how many great players you have. At some point, that's going to come back to burn you. And uh, and I don't know what the Cavs do because they they've got to retool something over these next months to be, get a little more movement. But that's so tough to do during the season. I don't yeah, know. and Atlanta Atlanta did that when, when LeBron or Kyrie started, especially LeBron when he would post up or go one on one on the wing. They would send an extra defender from the weak side over to the strong side and just have him, Horford or Millsap, and just wall off the paint. And they were able to snuff that out and rotate behind it. And because everything was kind of slow for Cleveland, I'll say this. Here's good good things for Cleveland right? Yep. from that game. Yep. Millsap really tried to go at, at love in the post and one-on-one and for the most part did not succeed. Uh, 
Number two, they got good looks every time they ran Kevin Love in a pick and roll. He got wide. The, Atlanta's coverage gave him open three point looks. Um, and I had a number three, but I forgot. I forgot. Oh, and and just lately, I feel like they've been dabbling with using like having Love set more screens, having Love roll to the basket sometimes, so that he's a more active presence on offense. It clearly doesn't last, and he goes back into being James Jones and Mike Miller, which is terrible. But, but they but they've dabbled, and I think if they continue dabbling, it might take until next season if he's still on the team. But those are all good signs. I don't know who I'd pick in that series. That's a tough call. I think the the hardcore like people who played and people who coached people like that they're always going to gravitate toward a team that has LeBron and Kyrie on it and I think there is a sentiment with this Atlanta team that they're a regular season team that sure. in the playoffs you need an extra gear and they don't have the extra gear the, you, this team is what it is and it's like you get to the playoffs now you got to go to here and can they get there I just think they're so well coached and I, it's it's totally one of those some of the parts doesn't equal what the whole is teams. We've seen these teams succeed. I think they're if they played the Cavs, let's say, would it be round two or are they, can the Cavs get to two? Is that done? Cavs are in two now, right? So they wouldn't meet till round three. If they yeah. both met in round three, I think the Cavs would be like three to one favorites. I, I I just don't think people would believe Atlanta could beat LeBron in a series, and Atlanta would feed off that, and you'd have all that underdog stuff. And we've seen that happen before in sports. But I, I got to say, even though I'm a huge Hawks fan, I thought they are going to win on Friday night. I'm a fan of this team watching them. It still worries me a little when you get to late May and, and some of the guys they have take big shots. Like that, that, that fishbowl gets pretty big in late May. You got 10 million people watching. You know, they, it's cute to have Dennis Schroeder out there, but what's, what's he going to do in a game six down 3 2? Do you trust him? I. That's I, the, I that's stuff I'm worried about. Well, you we both have faith, but you never know. These are this when that spotlight gets hot, you never know. Um, no, and and look, the Cavs have been qualitatively a better team than Atlanta for the last six weeks in in terms of point differential and and particularly on offense. Their defense, even amid this surge, is like tenth, ninth, whatever it is in the last month, which is good, but not as 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 great as you'd like it. But no, there is something to the idea of like. LeBron is on the Cavaliers and LeBron's teams have made the finals a lot of times coming out of the Eastern Conference and you know I think the Hawks have the right personnel to to make it hard for him um but that'd be a tough series I mean I don't know who I would pick I think I, I think the Hawks look there's something to the extra gear theory right like Chicago had, under Tibbs has always been the classic extra gear team like they, yep. we know that they don't have another level they can reach after yep. the regular season it may, might be something with Atlanta, but they showed me an extra gear defensively in that game. I agree. And they have a really good coach. And sometimes that helps you when you have some weird game where it's like game five and there's six minutes left and it comes down to somebody making a shot or somebody running a great play down the stretch or whatever happens. The love thing's been fascinating. And I thought it was really, really, really interesting that he had all those quotes about well, you know, they've turned me into a stretch four, and it's not ideal, but if that's what they want me to do, I'm going to do that. The like, it's cle- he's clearly unhappy, and I think he's making the best of it, but this is somebody that was a really good post-up player and had one of the best inside-outside games in the league and is somebody who's one of the best pick-and-roll people you can have, and, they, and as you said, they use him like James Jones half the time, and I don't know how long that lasts. 
Yeah, what's what's fascinating is well, a they gave up the number two number one picks, but really Wiggins. I mean, Bennett doesn't look like you yeah know, he's going to amount to much yet. Um, so they're invested in the in the idea of keeping him. Uh, and what's interesting is that like, look, if you surround a LeBron Mozgov or a LeBron Thompson pick and roll with shooters at every position, by which I mean you need the power forward to be a shooter. That's really powerful. That's borderline unstoppable offense, and Kevin Love can do that just fine. The problem is Kevin Love can do a lot of other things that can help diversify your offense. But if all you're going to ask him to do is play that role of spot-up guy around LeBron pick and rolls, you're presented with an interesting dilemma, which is you can get that cheaper than what Kevin Love is going to command on his next contract. And so you have a choice. Do I get that cheaper? And and do I just pigeonhole the power forward as a shooter who stands there? Or do I invest in my coach and invest in my players and invest in the collective brain power of the team and say, over time, we have faith that we can maximize this player who is, you know, a max kind of player. And from his end, I don't know if he's happy being James Jones half the time. He's not. He's clearly not. At some point, as as a competitor, as somebody who, you know, I think last year he thought he was one of the best 10 players in the league and he was right. So now he's like got to be thinking, hmm. If if they get bounced in round two or round three, I don't see how he comes back. I really don't. Unless there's some sort of handshake deal where they dabbed each other with chicken blood, and and wrote a, they did like a Joe Smith Glenn Taylor thing, which is illegal. Glenn Taylor illegal. got got uh, docked three first rounders, so they can't. I don't see how he comes back unless they win the title or make the finals. If they lose before the finals, he doesn't come back, I don't think. Uh, it's going to be very interesting. On the, on the one hand, it's kind of like, do you want to be the mercenary guy who's out for yourself and you go to the Lakers who are a demonstrably bad team or worse team yeah. because you want your numbers? How does that work for your, your brand or your image, which he cares about? Um, I Yeah, I don't know the team. I mean, I know the team. You're looking for real estate for him. In Boston, I know. I was joking already. on Twitter. <laughs> I'm sure he would be, I mean, he would be perfect for the Celtics. It's exactly what they need. And I, and I do they're, think you talked they're about... They're going to try and get him. There's no question oh, they're, they're going to try and get him. They're, they're no going question. hard. They're going hard. And I wouldn't rule out uh, our friend in Houston either. No. I think he's always liked them. And, and I don't think we can underestimate the Kevin Love-Kevin McHale relationship. And I think that's the look, one good NBA relationship he's ever had in his life was Kevin McHale. And Houston is Houston won't have the cap space to get him if he opts out and becomes a free agent. But they're sitting on a lot of trade assets. And if Kevin Love says, I want to go here, I mean, we've seen this before. Sign and trades happen that way. Look, I don't know what's going We're getting Wait, way ahead can of I interrupt We're supposed you? to talk about the MVP race. Can I interrupt you? Of they course. Do, they do have the cap space because if they have a chance to get Kevin Love, guess who's going to get sent packing? Take a guess. Take a guess who's going to get traded to one of the 12 teams that have cap space. Dwight? Of course. If you're Daryl and Dwight, you're worried about his knee or whatever, and you feel like you have a chance to flip Dwight and sign Kevin Love, you're doing it. If you don't think Dwight Howard can be the same, and if you're one of about 10 teams out there that has a ton of cap space, and you're getting offered a free two-year look at Dwight, you're taking it. You just are. You're giving up, so- you're giving up something. You're giving, giving up, up something. at least. You're probably giving up two picks to get him. Maybe. At least one. But it, you don't think... It, it, you don't think you don't think like Vivek would do that without even well, thinking look, about Boogie and Dwight Howard? Go, oh, Dwight Howard, I'm going to get him. Like there's teams uh, that will go get him. Toronto would go get him, I think. Uh, 
I don't. It, those are interesting destinations. I don't know that either of those things are true. I mean, the Kings, I think, don't have the cap space to do it easily, but they could. And the oh, Cousins they could thing, do. They could him and Cousins would be interesting. That would be a disaster. Toronto, no, I mean, I'm throwing off teams off the top of my head, but I'm sure like there's yeah. a bunch of teams that have cap space that would that would circle the tires in that one. Anyway, um, well, and, and yeah, and there are a lot of teams who are sitting on like, um, and Toronto's one of them. Dallas is another one. Portland is another one where they're sitting on the like. Do we re-sign our own guys with bird rights, or do we renounce them and become a team that all of a sudden has a lot of cap space? Dallas, to me, is the most fascinating of those teams with Chandler, Ellis, and Rondo all hitting free agency. And we can talk about that over the and summer. And San Antonio is also interesting. But I think you, you talked about Kevin Love goes to the Lakers. Now he's on another bad team. Um, Isaiah Thomas isn't as good of a player as Kevin Love. But I, I think it's really important to take note of what happened with him in Boston. He was just on the wrong team twice, right? He was in Sacramento, bad coaching situation, strange ownership situation. Doesn't totally fit in with that. There's a little alpha dog thing with him and Boogie. Never totally fits, but he's a guy who scores 20 points every time he plays an NBA game. He's going to get to 20 points. He's going to get to the line. He's going to make threes. Goes to Phoenix. As we came to find out, that was probably the strangest situation in the league this season, just how unhappy everyone was. They decide they have to get rid of him to try to get Dragic. And then it turns out they make the trade, and then Dragic kind of stabs him in the back a little bit. Then they have to trade Dragic, too. But now he's in Boston, and he is what he is. He's he's an irrational confidence, Nick Van Exel point guard, who in the end of the games can get shots, he can get to the rim, and he can shoot threes. He can get to the rim over and over and over again, and he can shoot threes, and he should have been more valuable than he was. And I do feel like with Kevin Love, we're going to be in that situation um, this summer, if if the Cavs continue to use him like they're using, I think people are forgetting how good he is. It, I agree, and the thing about Isaiah, it's Isaiah is interesting. Like he's a really good NBA player. Yeah, he's a little bit of a ball hog. Like yep. there will be three or four shots every game where you'll freeze the tape and be like, "That guy's open in the corner. <laughs> right. That guy's open under the rim. Why are you taking this pull up shot?" I can get how that can be frustrating, but he also is like an ebullient. Ebullient, whatever, however you say Ebullient. that. He seems fun to play yeah. with. And, like, I, I was talking to a couple Raptors guys when I was up in Toronto over the holidays, and, and one of them told me the funny thing about Lou Williams is that he could take 100 shots in a row, and our guys would still love it. Like, our guys would, even if he was missing, our guys would be like, take the next one, Lou, take the next. He's just fun yeah. to play with. I don't get how Isaiah Thomas doesn't kind of get that leeway. He seems Jamal, like he should. Jamal is like that, too, I think. Um, yeah. But I, the, I did a lot of background check. We we were doing our whole real-time trade deadline. You weren't involved, but when we, the Grantland staff, when that trade was happening, I was like, boy, this is exactly what the Celtics need, somebody who will actually take big shots in the fourth quarter. But I hadn't done all my research on him. And the most fascinating thing about him was how much Sacramento fans loved him. Yeah. Like he was probably – him and Boogie were the two most popular players on the team, but he did a lot of stuff in the community – his teammates seemed to like him. He obviously had something going on with Boogie or their entourage was at something or whatever was going on. But um it wasn't he wasn't like it wasn't like a Deion Waiters situation. Like this guy was a, a liked teammate who the fans really, really liked. Now the Celtics fans love him. And now it's like you're putting together pieces, right? Like they have Thomas, Marcus Smart, Bradley, Jay Crowder's turned into poor man's Draymond Green. I think he has real value. I think Olenek is a ninth man. Like you're starting Brandon Bass. I think they'll probably end up bringing him back because he's playing great. But they're not. You know, they still need the best player in the team, the second best player in the team. Those spots are still open. 
but they're well, they're at least adding assets. Well, and that's the thing. I you know I read a couple places where people were confused about what the Celtics were doing getting Isaiah Thomas, and I think the confusion is: Do you want to tank or do you want to make the playoffs? And the Celtics seem to be sending mixed messages with with some of the moves that they make. But I mean, if you can get Isaiah Thomas for a 2016 first round pick, that's the Cavaliers pick, and Marcus Thornton's garbage contract, like you should absolutely do that. Yes. Isaiah Thomas is good, and even if his ceiling is even if his NBA destiny is bench guy who scores a lot of points and if he's going well, plays the whole fourth quarter, yeah. like he's priced for that. That contract is unbelievable yeah. and it's only going to get better and better. Like it's, you're not paying him to, he's not paid to be a starting point guard, even though he, he, he's, you know, he's not starting for Boston, but he's effectively their starting point guard, basically. I also think they have real fears about Stevens and they want the team to at least be competitive and have some sort of silver lining at the end of the road because you just never know. Indiana is a job that it would be that whenever that job opens up, they'll come after him. Coach K now, who knows with him, like maybe that job opens up at some point. And I think I think they have a little pressure internally because Stevens is, a, I would say, a top seven coach at this point, um, game to game. They trade Green and they trade Rondo. The team somehow gets better. Everybody who plays for him seems like they're in a better situation with him than they've been at at other points of their career, except for Brandon Wright, who he had for two weeks. Um, yeah, I didn't get why they didn't use Brandon Wright, but they got a good value for him in, I, in they, trades. They must have just thought there was something about him they didn't like because they gave him kind of a, a rudimentary look and then just moved on. I mean, I think they got him to trade him. Yeah. And, you know, I, I probably what they thought was him playing – on our team, which where he's not quite, I mean, in Dallas, he was a perfect fit. He's not, yep. the spacing and the system isn't quite as good. Maybe he'll look bad and his trade value won't be good. I don't know. Um, hey, before we yeah. circle back on MVP, yes. can, we, can we quickly talk about the Wizards just completely falling apart? What are you seeing with sure. that? Uh, their offense is horrible, and they take a lot of mid-range jumpers, and unless they push the pace, they can't score any points, which is, you know, that's been the case for a while now. But I was looking at their numbers. I mean, they, they've been playing badly since late January. So I started looking at their numbers over that span. And, and, like, when they've had everyone healthy, they've still been quite good during that stretch. Most notably when they've had both Pierce and Beal. They've been fine. They've been the same team. They just can't withstand any one injury to their wing players because Porter has not been good. He's actually been okay, but Whitman doesn't trust him, and he'll make mistakes, and he can't shoot threes. Right. Um you know, Rasul Butler has shockingly fallen off the map. And Campbell, who saw that coming? Martell Webster's injury, back injury, ruined his season. Uh, who saw that you know, coming? I thought he was going to ha- stay healthy. So whatever, and, and you know, whatever happened with Glenn Rice happened. So um, they just can't survive on the wing. But I, I'm not as panicked about them just because when they've had their team, they've been good. When they haven't had their team, they've not been good. Humphreys is also hurt. And, like, that's the case for most teams, especially, like, the Wizards are a nice team. They're not a great team. It's like if you don't have your team, you're not going to be good. If you have your team, you might be good. That's, that's to me, where they are. What are they, a five seed right now? They are. They played Toronto in the first round. They're five. And, by the way, they're only a game ahead of the Bucks. who who we haven't even talked about the Bucks. what they did at the trade deadline. That whole three-team transaction of point guards, we're going to be writing about that trade in two and three years. Like, that was fascinating. And they haven't been the same offensively since making that deal. Can you write – let's put that on the future Zach Lowe column. Oh, that's on there. That's list. on there. 
the that sounds like remember you did the decision about Kawhi and George Hill? Yeah. Um I think this is an even better version. I think the part that stunned me the most was all the stuff Phoenix gave up for Brandon Knight without because we we were doing that real time thing, and it was there were so many trades it was almost hard to figure out who gave what and what actually came back. And then like seven hours later, I was looking, I was like, oh my god, Phoenix gave up a lot for Brandon Knight. They gave up Ennis and the other Plumley, and they gave up just a monster pick. And they don't even know if Brandon Knight's resigning for them or whether he's a fit. It just seemed like a lot. I thought. For for this day and age, 2015 seemed like a little bit of an unprecedented haul to send away for somebody like that. Um, Phoenix's decisions is something we would need to delve deeper into at some point because you know they made the Dragic trade, um, and, and I think they had Knight lined up already by then. But I, it's interesting to think of an alternative universe where they just stand pat after the Dragic trade. They say, okay, this is we're trading away Dragic. We're going to keep Isaiah Thomas. He's going to have a bigger role now that Dragic is gone. We're going to keep the Lakers pick, and that's going to be it. And I kind of like that alternative universe. But Brandon Knight, maybe this is his destiny to be a two-guard who can you know, handle the ball a little bit and is not your point guard. And maybe that will work out. And, and maybe every restricted free agency contract this summer before the cap goes up will end up looking fine. And he's a very nice kid and works hard. So I, But it, it what they did was super super interesting and particularly the bucks i mean the bucks could have the bucks could have just said we'll we'll take the lakers pick and that's it and not involve the sixers and not involve mcw but they wanted mcw and that it's just a fascinating series of events would you rather pay brandon knight 18 million dollars a year for the next 4 years or would you rather have isaiah thomas at 7 million a year ns plumley and the lakers pick the latter so would i I, that's the part that I don't get. I, and it almost makes me think maybe there was stuff going on with Thomas or I don't know. But I think they clearly wanted to get rid of Thomas. There's no question. But can you blame Thomas for being unhappy in that situation? Like they bring him in and they're playing three-point. I mean, that was the weirdest team to watch in the league, the three-point guards at once, which we both thought was going to be fun. And then when you watch it, it's like, oh, this can't work. And Dragic seemed miserable the entire time. I would have I would have rather kept the Lakers pick because there's a we saw it last year with the Celtics. Celtics were the fourth spot in the lottery and they ended up with pick six. If that happens again this year, Philly gets that pick. And yeah. if for whatever reason the Lakers don't get all the guys they think they're going to get the next summer, um, I, if then that's only top three protected. It really seems like Phoenix just looked at the landscape and thought to themselves. This pick isn't worth as much as we think it's worth, or as much as the league thinks it's worth. We'll we'll sell high on it now. Ennis would never have played for us anyway. Plumley, whatever. And we love Brandon Knight, so let's do it. I disagree. I I the jury's out, right? I mean, these trades take a while to to see who won and lost the trade. We're always in a rush to grade them and and name winners or losers. But this one's gonna be this one's gonna be a thinker. Um, for all for all three teams involved, even for Philly, even for Philly, where everyone's like, this is just what Sam Hinkie does, and like I think there's a chance, like Michael Carter Williams just might not be that good, and and we're gonna see. He's older than Knight. His jump shot is, the Bucks think mechanically his jump shot is not broken. I'm not a shot doctor. It looks okay mechanically to me, but the results are like horrific, like Rondo level horrific. So yeah. you know, we'll see. We'll see. 
We didn't name our MVPs. No, we're doing that Or now. talk about injuries. Or talk about injuries. The MCD, MCW thing, I would have rather had the pick. Milwaukee's not winning the title this year. I'd rather the pick. That was on the table. Just 100%. keep the pick. Just keep it. 100% on the table. I'm, I, I, MCW, this is why I didn't vote for him for Rookie of the Year. I just thought he was putting up decent stats on a terrible team. Can't shoot. But, but Your you point guard has to, to shoot. You, you're in, in fairness to Milwaukee, at that point, you need to find another point guard because you can't just make Jared Bayless your full-time point guard and have shaky backups. Tyler uh, Ennis. Or, or, or non-existent. Roll the dice well, you, with got, Tyler. You, can get it, you can get him in that trade. And, uh, but, but, yeah, no, that option was available to them. To Bring back Nate night. Walters. Uh, what, any other injuries we didn't talk about? Well, just the, you know, the impression that there are more of these and, and more of, you know, more wear and tear. Oh, that conversation. You know? Yeah, let's have yeah. that. Okay. Um, we were talking, we were emailing about this because it does feel like there are more injuries. And I theorize to you, I wonder if the guys just play harder game to game now. I was watching some, the Lakers channel always shows old Laker games. And I was just watching how casually they played defense in the 80s. They would turn it up in the last six minutes of playoff games. But for the most part, it was you just played offense and you kind of half-heartedly jogged around guys. And maybe in the low post, you shove people. But you can't do that in 2015. And everybody plays really hard. And you have to run out on shooters all the time. And yeah, if There's you, more ground to cover, for sure. No. More ground to cover. And, it, and if you don't give a crap and you mail in a possession or a play, you end up like Otto Porter on that clip where he's standing there like a jackass while his guy runs away, and you're on Shaq and a fool. So there's this pressure to just go out all the time. And what Westbrook, as you said earlier, what Westbrook was doing is not sustainable. It's not sustainable because your body, at some, you're going to land the wrong way. You're going to fall on your wrist. Your, your knee's going to act up. You're going to be playing through some injury and pretending you don't have it. And I just wonder, do these guys go too hard, and do we have to reduce the season now? It feels like we do. Well, it's it's funny. Um, the data about whether injuries are up is all over the place. And I was talking to some yep. trainers and experts yesterday. It's all over the place. And similarly, the data with Achilles tears, which is Wes Matthews and Brandon Jennings and a couple other recent examples, um, whether workload has any role. I mean, we went through this with Kobe, right? Like whether he playing playing so many minutes had a causal relationship. That's unclear for Achilles tears, although more people are starting to think it probably doesn't help and may hurt. Yeah, the, just the the minutes, the wear and tear. Um, you know, I'm not sure what you do. I mean, there's this talk about extending the season into July so yeah, that there are fewer no. fewer back to backs. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what's interesting. A lot of these trainers I talk to on teams think that that would make the situation worse. Yeah, even if even if you eliminated back to backs, the season's too long. Coaches will practice them more. Players, not enough players, do a lot of like stuff that they should be doing on their off days to keep their bodies fresh. They're like tr- more. I thought trainers would be like 100% less back-to-backs. If you got to go to July, go to July. I heard mostly no, bad idea. So I don't know what the fix is. I think it should be 75 games. I think they should use the last two weeks of June, which they don't really use right now, um, to extend the season just a tiny bit. And I would start the season later too. I would start it on November 8th instead of Halloween. I think the season gets lost a little bit when they start it because it's right there in the, the great stretch of college football. World NFL's series. right in the middle of the way. World Series is there. Just start it a week late. It makes more sense. They could own the last two weeks of June, and then I would move the draft to the to July free agent period. Free agency goes July 15th, and now you own July too. 
And that seems like that makes the most sense to me. But um, I told you my idea about the draft, right? I said this on PTI last week. Yeah, yeah, yes. The lot, just the lottery is its own night. Yeah, that's fun. It ends after pick fourteen. It's three hours. There's twelve minutes between picks. Yeah, get to really talk about stuff. Then it ends. Day two is pick fifteen through ninety. We go three rounds. Three rounds is on the map. I mean, I wrote about that last year. Three rounds is on, and all of this stuff is contingent on the D League becoming a real minor league and some age limit stuff and things like that. But like that's all that stuff is on the map. Um, Seventy five games, I'm not sure is on the map, but I've written this before. I don't. It wouldn't shock me if we woke up in twenty years and the season was not eighty two games. It just wouldn't. It just wouldn't. Um, it, I don't think it's ever going to be sixty games or whatever. But I don't think eighty eighty two is a sacred cow. But like. Things things change in unpredictable ways. Like I don't think it's set in stone that in twenty years we're still playing an eighty two game season. The one thing I think Adam Silver has backed off on is is uh changing the time limit of the games just because I think there's so much so many people are against the historical so many people are against the historical ramifications of that and what it does to things like triple doubles and 50-point games, and Kobe scoring 81, and Wilt scoring 100, and David Thompson 73, and the Pistons getting 186 points. All those things are just too ingrained now in the fabric of NBA history. And you, this, the game's been the same length since 1946. And it's changed and evolved and gone in all these different directions. But when you change the time limit of the game, now you have no context to measure anything against. And, I, and But 75 versus 82, nobody's going to care. Like, oh, he scored 3,000 points in a season. Only Like, nobody even knows those numbers. No one knows, 2, no one knows points. those numbers. I think 72 wins is the one thing you lose. But you know what? I'm fine with that. Let the Bulls ride into the sunset in, in the course of NBA history. It's great. Um, I don't care. But I would love to lose the seven. Qu- quickly, as we talk about great teams, and then we're going to go to MVP because we got it. We're got to move on we're, here. We're going over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks <laughs> Zach's getting tense. Um, Hersheimer wanted me to throw this at you. Uh oh. The Spurs, the 2015 Spurs, a little 1969 Celtics ish, just a tad, a little, a whiff. Dun- Duncan is Russell, although he hasn't announced his retirement. Uh... Popovich is Russell, the coach. Yeah. Ginobili is uh, Sam Jones. Kind of just getting through the regular season. Coming from the season. bottom of the playoff bracket. Nobody cares. Uh, ah, the Spurs, they're done. They're old. Everybody discounting them. We'll Tiny see. bit. They're rolling now, although they're rolling against defenses that are not playing well. But they're rolling a little bit. Um, Kawhi is Havlicek. I'll tell you right now. If Kawhi had been healthy all year, he's missed 18 games. So he's missed about a third of the season so far. He'd be a defensive player of the year candidate, 100%. He may still make my ballot. He's been unbelievable. Like, if you're dribbling, if you're, like, not an expert ball handler and you're dribbling and Kawhi Leonard is within, like, a 20-foot radius of you, you are in serious, serious trouble. Like, he's been unbelievable. Well, you know what the key to his season was when I when I put him too low in the part two of the trade value? Yeah. He, took, he was like five spots behind Kyle Lowry, which I just want to slip my hand on, like, so I have a cut like yourself. By the way, they could get, we're talking about them like the 69 Celtics. They're tied in the loss column with the Clippers. They're ahead of Dallas in the loss column. And they're three games behind the Blazers, who are now, you know, the Blazers are locked into the 4 5 series. But like, San Antonio is not far from that 4 5 series. If they it, stay it, healthy, they need all their yeah. old dudes to stay healthy. All right. Uh, Last thing, let me make sure I didn't 
quick, give me 10 seconds on Meritish. He's he's a funky player. He can score. He can shoot. He can dribble a little bit. He can pump and dribble. He takes shots that look crazy, but he gets fouled a lot. And um, where does he rank on where does he rank on Zach's personal favorite standings? Dirk's one. He's got he's got to earn it. He's he's not you know okay, look, good. he's not he's he's got to, he's not that far. Is he the rookie of the year? The Zach Lowe, Larry Sanders Memorial favorite players teams? Uh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe I mean Wiggins is the rookie of the year, rookie of the year, but Miritich is funkier to watch. Okay, uh, they're, they're you know he's fun, he's fun. I like his beard. Yeah, I like Miritich. I'm right. in MVP. Oh, actually, let's do rookie of the year. Wiggins done. Coach of the year. Curvers bud. I guess we'll yeah. figure that out last week. Six man. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, there's been no buzz about this award, and I have my computer just froze, of course, but I have my list of candidates. I mean. It probably should be Isaiah Thomas, but can you win the Sixth Man of the Year award if your first team trades you because the other players on the team hate you? This yes, looks, should, it feels like that should disqualify you from winning the award. Well, it, I think he's eligible for that award and the MVP. Um, <laughs> <laughs> most improved? Oh God, I don't even. Okay, I, who cares? That's a J- dumb one. Jimmy Butler is the favorite. I haven't looked deeply enough at it yet. Middleton, I don't know. I'll tell you, Sixth Man of the Year. You know, who's another Sixth Man of the Year. Yeah, this is a good ethical debate. Gobert is going to qualify because he will oh, have Gobert. more. He will have more. He starts now. He's going to be a full time starter, but yeah. he's going to finish with fewer starts than bench appearances. Should he's going to qualify? And I feel like he. I, I don't know if you should be out of the discussion just on merit if you're now a full time starter for the last twenty five games. But yeah, he's going to qualify. Tough. I think that goes in the first paragraph of your resume. Is you you wrote the first Gobert column. Way early to the point where I think I said to Fennessy, what did Zach write about? What did Zach write about? He's like, Rudy Gobert. And I'm like, the whole column? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> he, made, he made a case. He's excited about Rudy. By the way, you're still holding on to the French Connection nickname, which I'm, I just I'm think French you just rejection. need to admit defeat. I'm dying. Stein admit and I defeat. are dying. We're dying on that hill. Admit, admit defeat. It's the Stifle Tower. Everybody loves the Stifle Tower. Everyone uh, does love it. Wait, Defensive Player of the Year has got to be DeAndre, I think, at this point, for no. everything he's doing. No. Who is it? It's not DeAndre. What you, what you, did, Doc, did Doc Rivers just sit in your chair and start yeah. talking into he's the microphone? He's called him the Minister of the Defense. Is the, by the way, is DeAndre Jordan like Doc Rivers' long-lost son or something? Why does he, he feel the need to— why, why, what is? He transparently boosts up his ego at all times. Who's your Defensive Player of the Year, then? I don't know yet. Um, Gobert hasn't played enough minutes based on historic precedent to win it. Um, I think Davis has an argument. Uh, I think that DeAndre's uh, the favorite, though. No, is he the favorite? I don't yes, know. he's the favorite. I think Draymond Green is probably the favorite. And and if I had a ballot right now, I might go Draymond Green. Is Draymond Green go- the favorite with with people on your level, or is he the actual favorite? Because I don't I don't see normal people who vote for this award voting for Draymond Green over DeAndre. I agree with you. Maybe. I think Draymond means the most to a good team on defense. But I think DeAndre's going to win the award. Does Tim Duncan have a chance? He's in the mix. Ibaka? No. Really? I think Ibaka's been really good. Who's his press agent? He's not doing a good job. <laughs> DeAndre's, got, DeAndre's got Doc like touting him on nationally televised interviews now. I mean, you got to compete with that. Got to make a hard uh, case. Gobert's got to be at least t- rudimentally mentioned. Yeah, no, he's in the he's in the mix for a ballot spot. I just say if you look at the 
precedent of who's won this award, he'd be, I think, at the very, very lowest in minutes played. Well, unfortunately, you know how this goes. People count rebounds as part of the defensive player of the year and stuff like that, and they use the wrong criteria. I think if you talk about who means the most to their team and has the most dramatic impact on their success on a good team, it's DeAndre and Draymond, I think, would be the top two. And I think Ibaka probably third. Right? Those would be the three. I don't think Davis— I think you're overlooking Anthony Davis. The guy, you got to be in the playoffs to compete with those guys. I'm sorry. For okay. me. I don't think the baseball Mike Trout thing can work in basketball. It's too easy to make the playoffs. Fifty Over 50% of the teams make the playoffs. That's you have true. to be unbelievable defensively to have me get my attention. All right, MVP. I have a long answer to this, but right now I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. It's right now I'm gonna vote for Harden at this. At the, but by the way, that, that don't mean that's not finalized. I'm saying right now, if the season ended today, I would very reluctantly and after multiple sleepless nights probably vote for Harden. You're having multiple sleepless nights anyway. I it's, yeah, it's all over for me. I mean, you know. Well, we're gonna get to that at the end of this, but um, I I think Harden means the most to his team. I or I, I'll put it this way. I think Harden, through, what do we have, 60 games? Two, first three-fourths of the season? 65 games. Has meant the most game-to-game to the success of a good team. I think Curry has been awesome. I think they could survive for 10 games without him. I think they'd go 5-5 five and five or 6-4, and four, but it wouldn't be a catastrophe. If you took Harden off the Rockets, I don't know what happens. I, I think and it's like a house of cards situation, and it just it just combusts. And here's my pet peeve, yep. right? Curry is being punished, particularly among Houston fans, who, by the way, when did they become the most sensitive fan base in, in the NBA? Yeah, I don't know when, when and, that happened. And shouldn't it's, Portland it's fans be stepping it up? Where are the Portland fans and the Toronto fans? Um, don't let Houston take that title. So the the part of the Harden argument is that the Warriors are better than the Rockets. And exactly what you're saying, that if you took Curry off the team— that's a really good team still. Yep. Even though they've been outscored still with Curry off the floor this year. That that has gotten better. That trend line has, has trended in the right direction over the last couple of months as Livingston has gotten better and they've figured out some of their rotation issues. But they've still, I think, been outscored with Curry on the bench. But in general, I just don't like this argument that because the team is really, really great, Curry should somehow be downgraded. Because my, it's hard to be a historically great team is really, really hard. I agree. And if you're the player that takes a pretty good team and makes them historically great, I, I think we undervalue that leap. And I made this argument, you know, when um, there are a couple people who voted for Carmelo for MVP two years ago, you know, because the Knicks were so bad without him and, and the Heat would be great with or without LeBron. Um, I think we undervalue the leap from good to historically great and overvalue the leap from mediocre to good. In, in in deciding who should be MVP, it's a and I think point. that's what's I think that's what's happening a little. It's to be forty nine and twelve with one of the greatest point differentials ever is really that's historic stuff. And Curry shouldn't be punished because the rest of the roster is strong enough that he can enable that. And by the way, they've been outscored with him on the bench. So I agree with with those points. I think I wrote a whole chapter in my book about the MVP and different criteria that I have for it. And you just mentioned one of the criteria, right? You shouldn't penalize somebody for being on a great team. He's the best guy on a great team. That should matter. Um, I think if you switch Curry and Harden, Harden would have much more fun on that Warriors team and fit in really well. And I don't know if Curry could drag this Rockets team 
to what it's doing. I also think if you replaced each guy with an average player at their position, I think the Rockets suffer more. I think let's say you replaced let's say you replaced Curry with uh, I'm I'm sorry Harden. Give me an uh, an average a two follow. guard. A follow. Okay. He's above average. Above but, average, you know. but yeah. Well, let's say let's replace him with Ben McLemore. Okay. The Rockets are a top six lottery team. With the Dwight Howard injuries they've had, all that stuff, they're they're in the bottom seven of the league in that conference. I think they probably they missed the playoffs. Yeah, they missed the playoffs, no question. If you replace Curry with, I don't know, DJ Augustine, I think the Warriors still probably win like fifty to fifty-five games. I don't, I disagree. You don't think so? With everybody having that team, fifty-five is a lot of games. I said fifty Maybe, to know, fifty-five. Could they go fifty and thirty-two with DJ Augustine? And again, I'm guilty of. You know, what, when my reflex is to say no, because, again, they've been outscored when Curry's been on right. the bench. But when my reflex is to say no, I'm not giving the, the rest of the roster and the coaching staff enough credit for being able to reimagine how the team should play in a way that would enable them to still be good. Yeah. Um, but here's the other so, part of this, though. And I think this is the part people forget with the MVP. It's like, what's memorable about the person's season, right? And... Do they stand out in some way? Am I going to remember talking about them? Or am I going to remember seeing them 20 years from now? Like, I went to see Curry against Brooklyn last week. Mm-hmm. And when he gets hot in a game, it's the single most exciting thing that can happen in a basketball game, basically. And he got hot for about two minutes. And it was like everything stopped. It was unbelievable. Harden can get to that point, too. That's why I think, to for me, they're dead even. I would give a very slight edge to Harden. But I think these last... Five weeks are going to decide it. I don't think I think Westbrook would have to basically get triple doubles for another five weeks for me to really well, seriously he's, he's consider already, him. He's already missed enough games where he would be on the very low end in terms of games played for yeah. an MVP. Um, but he has taken that excitement tr- excitement trophy from Curry in the last. He's become the most the most exciting things on a basketball court right now are Curry getting hot, Westbrook going end to end, and being a maniac. Yeah, and uh, on a more subtle NBA nerd level, when the Warriors play Draymond Green at center, and just play that—that that is when they have four shooters. When they yeah. have Curry, three wing players or shooters, and Draymond Green at center, they're like completely unguardable. And on the flip side, I think Harden's going to get penalized as these last five weeks go along, because every Rockets possession is like Groundhog Day. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And I think in general, people are starting to really not like this Rockets team. They, they complain about calls all the time. They got Beverly, who's an agitator. Nobody likes watching Dwight Howard play basketball. Harden's either always lurching the guys. Like people don't want to watch foul shots. So I think there's this weird sentiment that's turning against them that I think could hurt him with the MVP. And if the Warriors get to let's say 68 and 14, and the Rockets are 57 and 25. And then you throw in like this little, hey, I'm a little tired of the Rockets. Like enough with you guys. Daryl Morey, all that stuff. Like he's been in all these different beefs. I think it swings to the Warriors. And I actually would pick, I think Harden's been the MVP, but I think Curry's going to win it. Because I think ultimately people look at the wins and they value that. I actually agree with that statement on both counts. I think I would vote for, if the season ends now, I would probably vote for Harden. Although, my God, that's a terrifying decision. But I think Curry will win. Um, If they get to 67-68... There's just no precedent that I can remember of the te- of the guy of the best player on that team then not winning the MVP. And I'm fine. I'm fine. Oh with wait, any there's of these guys one. Winning. I guess 
Jordan in 97 when Mailman won, which was one of the greatest adjusters in the history of America. I'm going back to the 1776. And from everything on there, this is one of the five worst things that's happened in our country. Um, Jordan didn't win when they went 69 and 13. He was the best player in the league. He was Michael Jordan. He had just won four titles in six years. He had an awesome season. And Carl Malone won the MVP. This is kind of how I feel where you mentioned Coach of the Year. This is kind of like, this is why I get stressed out about potentially not voting for Popovich as Coach of the Year. Because my feeling, every year I've had a ballot, which I think every year I've had a fake ballot and a real ballot, I voted Popovich Coach of the Year. Because my feeling is just like, he's the best guy. I don't care what their record is. He's right. the best guy at doing his job. And I like I don't think you can vote. For, I, 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 I don't know if you can vote for him this year, given just how Atlanta has been and how Golden State has been. But I feel funny not voting for him because my argument has been he's the best guy. He's, he's the best coach. Who is the MVP in the delivery room when you were having your kid? The doula. I didn't even know what a doula was. Well, no. First of all, the the MVP other than the wife was clearly the MVP. That's good. I was clearly setting you up for that one. She did it without painkillers. She did it without what? epidural. That's no crazy. epidural. She's a superhero. The MVP other than the obvious MVP is the doula, which is a word I didn't even know until we got a doula, uh, okay. which is like a midwife kind of thing. Not yes. a midwife. See, I'm already misdoing it. Um, I, I, I was there. I was there. I, I'm told I did better than expected. Let's what NBA player way. would you have compared yourself to? Um, I could have been like Nick Collison. I was just like Nick filling, Collison, right? I like. I was it. just like filling needs, like filling, just filling needs. Like here's the water bottle. Here's a, here's like the washcloth. Here's the birthing ball. Like what do you need? What do you need? I got no get no credit, but I'm I'm like here. I'm filling needs. How is your spacing? Spacing the room was quite was really big. We had yeah. a nice view of the city. It was a nice big room. Spacing okay. was good. I had they gave me. They get, they knew it was going to be a long labor, so they gave me a big chair that turned into a bed. Yeah. So like, and that did not impact our spacing at all. The bed transformation, still Good. plenty of room. Good spacing. Um, yeah, so you, you haven't been on the site for a while. We're easing you back in very slowly. I think people out there should remember that, that Zach cares a lot about his job. He He likes to be properly educated with his opinions. And when he comes back, he's going to come back at full strength. And, and be easy try. because it's really hard when you have a kid. I went through it in 2005. Your first kid is like, it's basically like somebody just threw a grenade in your apartment or house. That's the best way to describe it. There's you, ne- you never really recover. You learn how to adapt and change, but especially like people like us who you watch a lot of games, you're in your house or your apartment. You work all the time. It's yeah. empty. You're working. You're, you're in a groove. Everything's set up a certain way. And now you have this living, breathing thing in in your place that looks half like you and needs constant attention, and it takes a while. So uh, it has been. Everyone warns you about what an adjustment it's going to be. About everyone, everyone warned me like, get your sleep in now. Like yeah. I could just hibernate for fifteen hours like a, a bear. night. I, I, right. I, yeah, but everyone warns you, and it's like it's exponentially harder than you think it's going to be, even with all the warnings. So, yeah. you know, I'll do it. But some of my columns might include like random gibberish at some point that the editors are going to have to That's good. We have editors. Out. Yeah, we have editors, yeah, which that's is good. That's good point. Ease your way yeah. back in. Thanks for making the time. It was great to it. see your face. It was good to hear your voice. I'm glad we had some good arguments. Uh, this yeah. was the first episode, even though we're not calling yet. I think we're going to call it Bill Don't Lie. But um, when we're ready to launch this, you got to go on iTunes and you got to subscribe for it. It's going to be separate than the BS Report. So if you want to hear me talk 
uh, NBA on Mondays with people like Zach and Ryan Rossillo and Chris Ryan and Andrew Sharp and people from ESPN.com like Ramona and Tom Haberstra, all those people. This It's going to be a different podcast. It will not be the BS Report. So get ready emotionally for that. Uh, we will be back with more stuff later in the week. And we are going to South by Southwest uh, later this week, and we're going to do two days of podcasts with as many celebrities as we can grab. Zach Lowe, hang in there. Good to see you. Have fun. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at Podcenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.